that glitter um, reminds me of something. Uh, this past week, Thursday night, uh, we were given uh, tickets um, uh, by, it was June, I think, who gave us tickets to see the recent, the newest concert, a part of the series here in, uh, in Huron. And it was a tribute to, well, if you know, it was a tribute to Elton John. Now, that may be outside of your realm of remembrance, but uh, he was known for lots of glitter uh, as, as well. But um, what I want to tell you about that is that, um, at least from my vantage point, there was probably 300, 350 people there, maybe more. And I would say that Linda and I tended toward the bottom of the age span. Uh, I saw some of you there, and I thought, we'd been to some of the other concerts. The last concert I think we went to here was a, uh, a family that came and sang songs, uh, sang a lot of songs about Jesus and stuff, and I said, boy, they're in for a surprise. Um, not a lot of Jesus songs going to be happening tonight. Um, but what was interesting for me to note is that as this tribute began with the drums and the keyboard and electric guitar and an electric bass, that I saw a lot of bald and white-headed people going like this. And I think if there was room, some of them probably wouldn't get up and dance as well. And so that brings me hope in the church. That I know some of you complain about the drums and all that kind of stuff, but I think we can even knock it up a notch or two after seeing how the uh, older generation, of which I am a part, uh, enjoyed the music of, of Elton John, maybe took them back to their childhood or to their teens, um, as it did for for Linda and I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I still don't know half the words he sang, but, um, but the music was good. It was, you know, danceable, danceable music. So, um, I won't uh, out any of you, Schneiders, um, that were there um, en enjoying the music, um, but there, was a, there were a few others that I won't talk about, Pat. Um, <laughs> That was, I was still there, and of course, there was somebody that looked like Ella, but I don't think it was her. Um, so anyway, um, music uh, can divide us. If you've been in uh, the church uh, for any length of time, not just here on, but you've experienced church life uh, as you've as you've grown up. Um, even if you're younger, one of the things that um, has plagued the church um, is what we would what we would call worship wars. Remember worship wars? Maybe we didn't call it that, but there was a, a war when the style of worship began to change. When we went from organ and piano to electric guitars and and drums to the cadence of the um, the old and true hymns to the uh, more uh, what I want to call it uh, lively uh, songs of the spirit that we sing today, and some of you have made that transition relatively well. 
And some of you who haven't, and you wondered where the church was going. I mean, things were changing, and we just didn't know how to uh, really worship the Lord. And I want to just remind you that worship wars are nothing new. There's been struggle with how to worship God that goes way back. I know for sure it goes back at least a couple millennia. Now, you remember, you might remember, in uh, John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter uh, with a Samaritan woman. And uh, she has come to, to draw water in the heat of the day. And Jesus is there by the well, and they enter into this conversation. And uh, Jesus talks about giving living water, and she responds that she wants that. And Jesus says to her, I want you to go back into town, and I want you to bring your husband out to meet me. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she um, is kind of taken aback by that, as uh, makes sense. And so she tries to um, change the subject. She says, um, our fathers, the fathers of the, that Samaritan group of people, worshipped on this mountain, right where they kind of were. And you Jews, pointing to Jesus, you worship in Jerusalem. So I can see that you are um, possibly one that would link themselves to be the Messiah. Where is it that we should worship? On this mountain of our fathers or on the mountain in Jerusalem? And Jesus' response to her was, um, woman, you don't have it quite right. There's going to come a day when we don't worship God on this mountain or on this mountain. But the true worshipers of God will worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And that's been uh, sometimes for myself and for, for others, that's a difficult, difficult statement to unpack. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Not about this mountain or that mountain. Not about organs or drums. But Jesus says there's going to come a time when um, something is going to happen on the inside of you. He will tell his disciples later on, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And something new is going to happen within you. And we worship out of, of that spirit. We worship uh, in, in that truth as well. So, I want to deal with just a little bit today um, before we return to uh, a time of, of worshiping through song um, to talk about what does it mean? What are, what's some of the possibilities for us as we try to determine what it is to worship in spirit and in truth? 
Because this is the time that we need to begin to do that if we're not already doing that because Jesus says that's what the people of God are going to be doing, worshiping God in spirit and truth. So I want to take you to Romans chapter 12, uh, for many of us a familiar passage, and uh, I want to... Uh, lay before you the prospect or the idea that to worship God in spirit and truth is, does not happen here, but it happens here. To worship God in spirit and truth is an uh, inner work that needs to take place. And as the inner work is taking place, then we will be able to worship well, to worship the way that Jesus is pointing us to. Romans chapter 12, um, 1 and 2. I appeal, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Lord God, uh, help me to uh, handle your word um, correctly this morning and clearly. Help me to handle your word with conviction and compassion. Holy Spirit, I need you to open my heart and my mind that, that I will hear today. That all of us will hear and be um, transformed by this living word. Jesus, what we say and do and think here this morning, may it bring glory and honor to you. Amen. Let's, let's just look a little deeper here and, and um, unpack this if we can. Paul begins and says, I appeal to you, therefore. Uh, a better translation for that word appeal is to urge. There is a powerful urging that Paul says. It's not something that he just, um, you know, if you, if you want to. If it kind of fits into your daily plan, your goals and dreams for your life. He's not putting it that way. He puts it in, in imperative language. I urge you. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, to, to do the following. And we're able to do the following because of the mercies of God. And if we went back and, and read the first part of Paul's letter to the Romans, he um, brings out in fullness what it is to be apart from God and in God and what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and how God has given us his spirit and therefore we are able to worship. We're able to be here this morning because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
If Jesus hadn't died on the cross and hadn't risen triumphantly, there would still be God. But our relationship with him would be hindered by our own unrighteousness. But God in his mercy sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. We go on and read in Philippians chapter 2, that first part that Tim read us. If we keep on going on and reading, there's just this great declaration of who Jesus is. What he has done for us. And so it's because of God's mercy that we're able to come before the throne. It's because of God's mercy that someday we will join with the multitudes and worship before the throne. It's because of God's mercy that we're able to pray. We're able to sing today. It's because of God's mercy that we're able to rejoice in these little voices. Because of God's mercy, here's what you and I are to do. We are, first of all, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that which is holy and acceptable. We are to present our bodies. Please note that Paul does not say, present your spirits. He says, present your bodies. Sometimes we think that, well, we are just spiritual beings who are temporarily housed in this dust. But the scriptures make it very clear that our bodies were created by God and created for a purpose, and there's going to be a bodily resurrection. These things are important. Now, the good news is the scriptures do say that we will be changed, and I have great hope in that, that I will, this thing will become better because of the work of God. But we are to present not just our spirits to God, but the wholeness of our being. Therefore, in everything that we do, we present ourselves as a sacrifice. As we eat a meal, as we study at school, as we drive a tractor, as we shop, as we spend time with our grandkids, All those things we do are to be for the glory of God. In all of those things do we present ourselves as living sacrifices. A sacrifice is something that is costly. I would encourage you uh, maybe this afternoon uh, as part of your uh, day of Sabbath to go to 2 Samuel chapter 24 and you will have an encounter where uh, David sins. He counts the people when God said, don't count the people. And his sin is pointed out to him. And so, therefore, he goes to make sacrifice. And he goes into um, uh, a grain press and he seeks to build an altar there, but he comes to the owner and says, I will pay whatever this is worth. I want to buy all of this from you. In fact, he says, essentially he's saying, I want to buy your livestock, your, your, uh, that which uh, produces a living for you. And the man says to King David, he says, you can have it. You can have it. It's, it's for the Lord. Just, just take it. I'm going to give you everything that 
will bring me sustenance. Now, there's a whole other sermon there about giving everything we have to God and let him do with it what he wants. But David says to Onan, he says, um, no, 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 no. This is, must cost me something. I will pay the full price. And sacrifice is that which costs us something. For the sacrifices set forth by God in the Old Testament of the cows and the bulls and the sheep and the goats and the doves, it cost them their very lives. Sacrifice is costly and it's because it's living here, it's ongoing. We don't do child sacrifices. We do living sacrifices. We want that uh, sacrifice to keep on going, to keep on producing. You and I are to surrender wholly to God. I'll be very honest with you. Those words come off my lips behind this plexiglass pulpit incredibly easily. But when I go home this afternoon, when I wake up tomorrow morning, that surrendering completely to God is a whole nother thing. It's difficult at times. But that's what we're called to do. That's what a sacrifice is. It's full and complete. God says that holy and acceptable, that which is different, it's not just Pure. Holy does not just mean here pure, but it means set apart. It means uh, different than the rest. And Paul goes on to say, this giving of yourself is your spiritual worship. I think, personally, um, that phrase that the ESV and some other versions, the, NAS, the New American Standard and the... Uh, Translate spiritual is really the word reasonable. It's not the word spiritual. And Paul is saying this giving of yourselves to God is rational, is reasonable. Considering all that God has given to you, it's only right for us. It only makes sense for us to give ourselves completely to God. This is what begins our spiritual worship, our worship in, in truth, to see that for all of God's mercy, it only makes sense for us to respond by giving ourselves to him in all that we do. And then Paul begins to talk about, just a little bit here, he tells us, okay, what does that look like? How do we offer ourselves as living sacrifices? He says there's two things that we need to do. We are to be not conformed to this world, to this culture. That 
word conformed um, is where we get our word echo from. And an echo, you know, when we go into a cave, we shout out our voice and the same voice comes back to us. This word echo is, is, means the same. We're conformed to the world, we look like the world. The Bible tells us that we are not to look like the world. We are to be different. Scriptures say that we are a peculiar people. We should not fit into our culture. People should be able to see something radically different about a follower of Jesus. Call us weird, behind the times, maybe even narrow-minded because we believe that this book is God's word and it is true. We are not to be conformed to this world. We are not to be, uh, one person said, we're not to be pressed into its mold. But rather we are to be transformed. That word transform there is the same word that's used in Matthew 17 when Jesus is transfigured on the mountaintop. As we are transformed, we look different. We speak different. Our languages change. Our thought life changes. Our response to people, even people who hate us, who uh, get in our way, who um, we just don't like to be with. We are to uh, love them and embrace them and forgive them. We are to be transformed. We are to look different. And the sense of this word is that this is something that is done through us, to us, I should say, in an ongoing way. And again, Paul uses the imperative force here. This is something you must do and must continue to do is open yourself for transformation. It's like lots of you read through God's word. You read it daily, and that is a good thing. And um, presently, I am reading through the chronological Bible and um, sometimes I've caught myself reading but not listening. You ever been there? You've read a chapter of scriptures, and if someone were to give you an immediate test, you could not pass it because you just read it for information rather than reading it for transformation, rather than saying, Holy Spirit, put my eyes on something that I need to see. Something that brings to me the opportunity to praise or to confess, to change, to go out and do. We are to be transformed. And Paul says, here's how you are transformed. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Making your mind filled with something new, not the things of the world, but to be transformed. And let me give you three real uh, quick things of how, at least in part, we can have the renewal of our mind. First, you need to have separation from the present culture. 
separation from the world's way of thinking. There is a commercial on television now. You may have seen it. It's uh, a news commercial. And it's put out by a new news, relatively new news group called News Nation. It says you have a choice. You can get your news from uh, this group of people who think this way, or you can get your news from this group of people who think this way. It's kind of Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion. You can choose which one, or you can come to us because we're going to give you the truth. I don't believe that in a moment. Um, don't ever come to me and say, I have no bias. The fact that you said I have no bias is a bias. Something else needs to happen. The world is not going to bring the transformation that we need, no matter where you get your news, no matter where you go to church. Transformation starts with a separation from the thinking of this present culture. Second, it becomes possible with the saturation of God's word. Psalm 1, that uh, we would become those who uh, put roots down, who dwell in the Word of God and let the Word of God dwell in us. We need to be people who are saturated by the transforming Word of God. Probably reading a verse a day will not do that. It's hard to get saturated by a drop. We need a dousing. Separation from the world, saturation of God's word, and then surrender to the spirit. Every day waking up, maybe waking up and then after breakfast and before supper and then at dinner and as you go to bed at night, you do that surrendering, just continuing Continue sacrificing yourself. Somebody once said, I don't know if it was Warren Wiersbe or somebody like that, says the problem with living sacrifices is that we have a tendency to crawl off the altar. And we've got to keep on crawling back on. And he says, as our minds are renewed, then we will be able to discern what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And we can look at the whole of Scripture and say, well, there's a lot of things that God says. I can't get it all down and, and do it all. And thankfully, God narrowed it down for us in Jesus' words, where Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. We refer to it as a great commandment. And then he says, you are to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in, in the triune name of God. That's what you are to do. And if you need help in figuring out how to live that kind of life, um, go back to uh, that sermon I preached in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and just do those things. And the renewal will happen in your mind. So the worship of God... Um, doesn't start here or there, but the worship of God starts with the renewing of our hearts. 
Let's pray to that end as the worship team returns. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Hero. Have a blessed day.